Matthew chapter 22, and we, we catch up with Jesus, and this is kind of the concept and the theme verse for our entire series here, and this is what he says, and I'll, I'm going to read it out loud, and you can read it to yourself. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And so Jesus replied to him and said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and what? Greatest. Greatest command. Stop there real quick. That's really, if, you, if, you're, if you're jumping into this series, maybe this is your first time here uh, in the past couple of weeks. First off, welcome. Uh, second off, if, if, you have, if you've missed the last two, I would really encourage you to go to oscconnect.com and listen to those messages. But the first two weeks, we just laid down the foundation of this series, which is that, that God so loves us. We've got to come to that terms first. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. But God so loved us that first off, a lot of times we, we want to go jump right into what we need to do for God, but we got to step back and realize how much God has done for us. And so God has so loved you. And so out of that, last week, Pastor Bubba shared part two, which is about the thirsty soul, and that if we're going to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we've got to have a connected soul to God, that, that sin breaks apart our soul, and that we are disconnected from God but when we connect with God with our soul, when we have a healthy soul, we can really love God. So I'd encourage you to do that. But he continues here, and he doesn't actually just leave it here. This is the first and greatest command. How many of you would, if you were honest, you would have wished he would have left it there? <laughs> but he didn't. He goes on and he says, and second is equally important. Love your, what is that word? Love your neighbor as who? as yourself. Uh, there's a kind of a, I don't know if it's a song or a quote that I've heard before. It says, to live with those we love, oh, oh that would be glory. But to live with those we know, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Isn't that true? To live above with those we love, oh, that would be glory. But to live with those we know, oh my God, that's a whole nother story. I think when we talk about loving God, for most of us, we kind of understand that to a degree. And, and we still fight, and that's a relationship that we have to fight for. But if there's anything that brings more conflict, stress, and hardship in our life, it's usually not God. It's usually people. And when you look all throughout the Gospels, Jesus loves being with people. And he gives us a command here that we're supposed to love people too. We've got to love them like we love ourselves. And, and so if there's anyone who knew how to love people, it's Jesus. And so today we're just going to look at Jesus. Is that cool? Can we look at Jesus and see how he loved people? And then what does that look like for us to love people? Because if there's anybody that Jesus loved, I mean, Jesus didn't even love, didn't just love the people that loved him. He loved people that were absolutely unlovable. And he did it really well. He did it better than you and I probably ever can. And so I want us to go to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to camp out in Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and we're going to kind of camp out here, and then we're going to, we're going to see what it, what it means to love like Jesus. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and we're going to read through for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll stop and talk and read and stop and talk and read. Verse 25, and it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. And this is what he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so he says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answers and he says, Matthew 22. Well, oh, that's easy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, you've answered correctly. Now go do this and you will live. Hey, let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into this. God, I pray, Lord, that our people here in this room, they're your people, and that they would hear another voice. God, that you would teach us through your word, God, what it looks like to love people. We know this isn't easy, but yet you've still commanded us to do it. And so would you help us today to, to learn how to love people like you loved us? In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have heard of the book, The Five Love Languages? How many of you have heard of that book? Raise your hand. Five Love Languages. 
If you know anything about the concept of the book, uh, The Five Love Languages, um, if you don't know the book, uh, this is just a quick plug. David and Dana's life group will be going through the Love Languages book. So there you go. You're welcome. So go jump into their life group coming up in February. They're going to be going through this book. But if you haven't gone through the book, it's a great book. And the book is, is pretty much talking about how when we give love, we give love in so many different ways. And we all have different love languages. And we all kind of receive and give love in different ways. And there's the five different types of love languages. Can you all help me here? If you've read it, you maybe know there's, there's touch. There's, there's what? Gifts. That's a good one. There's, there's words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time. All right, good. So that's, that's the five. And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted, want to always be is I, I want to I love my wife well. I want to love Lindsay well. I want to love my boys well. And, and so one of the ways that you love people well is you find out what their love languages are. And everybody's got like a top two or three love languages. I have a top five, all five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but my wife has, my, my wife has, uh, you know, a top three if, and she's, she is, uh, words of affirmation. She loves it when I tell her that she's sexy, um, which who doesn't, but I'm not telling any of you, uh, acts of service, you know, when I do things to help gifts and every woman said, amen to that one. Gifts. It's a good one. Now, my love language, though, is a little different, okay? Uh, you don't have to tell me I'm sexy. I already know it. So I say that as humbly as possible. Preach it. Come on, every guy in the house, just wave. You, just, you know it. You just look in the mirror. And you, there's nothing wrong with you. You look in the mirror, and you're like, I look great. You know, women look in the mirror, and they pick apart themselves. You look in the mirror, and you're like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And so... Words of affirmation are not really my love language. I was, I was great, as you can tell, I was greatly affirmed growing up. Um, but acts of service is a big one for me. Acts of service, when people do things for me, um, that's, that's a big one for me. Touch is another big one for me. And touch me again is the other big one. Um, anyways. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Lisa, there's an, one honest man in here. <laughs> so the way this works out in marriage, though, <clears throat> is a lot of times you give the love that you want. So the way I love my wife a lot of times is because my love language is acts of service and touch and touch me again, um, then I, the way I give my love to her is I go do things for her, Okay. So I'm, you know, I'm bathing the boys, and I'm, I'm doing the dishes when she needs it, or I'm, what do you need? And I'm finding things that I can do, and I'm trying to do those things. Well, here's the problem with that, though. If that's not her love language, how she receives love, then I'm just giving something really because that's the way I receive love. Are y'all with me? And so oftentimes, you know, I'm trying to give things. You know, I'm touching her, and she's like, that's not my love language. I'm like, well, it's all mine, <laughs> so... So, you know, I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go bathe the boys, and I'll do the dishes, and then I'll start touching her. And so that's, that's like my love language. That's how I do it. We're just real here. I'm just letting you know. Your children should be in quest, okay? That's your fault. That's your fault. So a lot of times you dispense the, the type of love that you desire, and... Um, you know, there's times where I'll walk in the house, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, as men, you walk in and, and you can just feel it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you just feel it. Like, you walk in the house, and she hasn't even said anything, but she don't need to say anything. But as a husband, you're like, hey, what's wrong? And then she just, like, looks at you, and you're like, you don't have to say anything. I'm, I'm good, you know? And so, but as a man, you want to know, because as men... We're fixers, right? We're fixers. And so you want to press in a little bit. Come on, babe, what's going on? Oh, you don't want, you don't want to know. No, babe, what's going on? Oh, you want to know? I don't know if I want to know now. I'm not exactly sure. And then, and then here it comes, all the different things of what's going on, you know? You've been out so late. Things are going on. We seem so busy. We're, I mean, this is, this is a conversation that we even had this week, feel disconnected, and I feel like, and I'm like, 
you know, you're like, you're like taking it all in. And so you're trying to think through, how do I fix this, all the stuff? And for all of us, a lot of times as men, we, the love that we give is the love that we desire, but it's not necessarily always the love that is received. And as men, we have to do the hard work sometimes to try to really figure out what, how our wife receives love. And so what I thought I was doing was being loving, but in the end wasn't really as loving as it should have been. And, and, and love for us many times is, is feeling and emotional. It's, I, I feel this way, and, and so I'm going to do this. And so we reciprocate out of sometimes loving and unloving ways. And Jesus in this verse is telling us how we should not only love God, but we should love people. And, and, and sometimes when we talk about loving people, it's just really a hard concept, kind of like the love languages in a sense, because you feel like I'm trying to do stuff for people, but it's just not working out, and I don't feel like you know, I'm getting love back, and it's not reciprocating really well, and what's all this going down? But the love that God is talking about is so much grander than feelings, so much bigger than the feelings that you have with love the love that he's talking about is a self-sacrificing, giving of yourself type of love. Because notice he says, love your neighbors as yourself. yourself, as yourself. And so in Luke chapter 10, we see this lawyer come up to him and kind of test him. And he says, what is it shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he tells them, well, what does the law say? And so he gives them, hey, love God, love your neighbor. And he says, you're right. Here's the problem. You need to do it. You need to do it. And oftentimes in our culture, we, we think that in order to be a loving person, then you need to love yourself. And then once you love yourself, then I can love people. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, like, I need to just love myself, and then I can love people. No, the Bible says you have been loved and now you can love people. Amen. Write this down. Loved people love people. Loved people love people. So I want us to catch up into this story, and I want us to really begin to really dive into this story and look at what, it, what does it look like for us to love like Jesus loved. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 29 through 30. It says, but he, meaning the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus replies. Now watch this. Jesus doesn't reply with an answer. He replies with a story. Now here's the thing, too. Some people think that this is a parable, but actually it doesn't even say that this is a parable. This could have been a real story. Jesus could have given a real story. So Jesus is going to unfold. I love how he answers some of our questions. It's not in the way that we want him to answer. And he unfolds with a story. And this is what he says. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the other place, when he came to the place and, and he saw him, he passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed and he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer looks at him and says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, we have a story here that starts off in two different cities. You've got two parallel cities. Go back to, to verse 30. You have a man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that's very significant because Jerusalem was a place of worship. Jerusalem was a place where you went and met with God. Jerusalem was a, a place of blessing. Jericho was quite the opposite. Anybody else know where you see Jericho in the Bible? A guy named Joshua. He defeats this city. It's a city totally set against God. It's a city, a city full of robbers and thieves and despicable people. And you have this guy who's going from Jerusalem, a place of blessing, to really a place of cursing. And <clears throat> Jerusalem was about 18 miles from 
Jericho, and, but the thing was is that Jerusalem was set up about 3,000 3, feet above the city of Jericho. It's a 3,000 foot descent down to Jericho. And so you have Jerusalem, you have a man coming down from Jerusalem, a place of communing with God. He's coming down to Jericho, and on his way down to Jericho, the guy gets jacked up. Robbers are there, there's a lot of cliffs. If you were actually to see the terrain, there's a lot of cliffs, a lot of places to hide, and <clears throat> some thieves go bust this guy up, and we see what begins to unfold. Look, look at what happens. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now I want you to see this. Here's, here's some things that we got to take note. So now by chance, a priest, okay? So let's, let's look at the characters in this story. We got a priest, okay? This isn't a joke. A priest and a Levite and a Samaritan going to a bar. Okay, so, but this is who we have in the story, okay? You got a priest. Now watch what's happened. Now he's going, where is he going? He's going down as well. So he's going from Jerusalem. We don't know if he's going to Jericho or wherever he's going, but he's going down the road. Now watch what happens. He's going down the road, and when he saw him, this is huge, okay? I want you to underline this. You're going to see it three different times. When he saw him, okay? So when he saw him, he passed by. Where did he pass by on? On the other side. Now, okay, so here we go. Character number two. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, and he what? Saw him. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. All right, let's, let's fill out some notes. If you got your notes, write this down. If we're going to love like Jesus, the first thing we got to do is we got to see as Jesus sees. We got to see as Jesus sees. Now, look at this. We got a priest. Okay, let's, let's just, let's just kind of talk a little bit about these characters that are in this story. The priest. A priest is a guy who had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Anybody in here got that? Anybody got Genesis 1 memorized? Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all memorized. He's got them all memorized. If there's anybody that constantly communes with God, it's the priest. The priest's problem was not that he didn't know the Bible. It was the fact that he didn't know how to apply it. That was his problem. <clears throat> and then you go and you see a Levite was also someone who communed with God. And yet he passes on the other side. Now notice, these two guys saw him. All three guys see the guy that's beat up. Everybody sees him. One responds, two go on the other side. And so for us, we've got to come to the realization that we've got to see as Jesus sees. And here's the problem that I have with this story. The people that were most qualified to help this guy walk by him. So what that tells me is simply being religious, simply going to church, and simply reading your Bible and knowing the Bible doesn't mean you love people. I've seen some people who know a lot about the Bible and hate people. They are so mean and rude, and they are some of the most faithful church attenders. They're always sitting in that seat, always in the same place, always amen in the preacher. And yet, when it comes to actually loving people and seeing people and seeing their need, they choose to go to the other side. And you have two guys in here, the priest and the Levite, who choose to go to the other side. And the reason I really like this story, though, is Jesus makes the most unlikely person the hero. Now imagine this. Jesus is talking to a lawyer. So he's telling this lawyer about this story. He's telling the lawyer the story. And I can only imagine there's other people as well, other Jewish guys around him while he's telling the story. Who's my neighbor? Oh, you want to know who your neighbor is? Okay, there's this guy. He's traveling. Okay, he's traveling from Jerusalem and Jericho, gets beat up. And then there's a priest. And all the Jews are like, yes! The priest, that's my man. And then he's like, and the priest walks around, he sees the guy and he walks around. They're like, oh no. And then he's like, and then there's another man, he's a Levite and he came and he saw the guy and they're like, yes, the Levite, that's our dude. And then he says, and then the Levite walks around. They're like, oh no. And then he's like, and then there's another guy, a Samaritan. And they're like, say what? <laughs> and guess what this Samaritan does? He also sees the guy, but he's moved with compassion. Jewish people would have been in an uproar when they heard this story because Samaritans were half-breeds. 
I want you to know the relationship between Jewish people and Samaritans, how this worked. Jewish men would go to the temple and they would pray out loud, God, thank you for not making me a Samaritan. Thank you for not making me a woman. It's the two things that they would pray out loud. See, their bigotry was out loud. Ours is just in our heart. We just don't say it out loud. That would be the equivalent of us saying, God, thank you that I'm not African American. Thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not Asian. Thank you that I'm not whatever it is. But that was the racism of those days that the Jewish people literally hated the Samaritans. They hated them so much that not only in the temple would they thank God that they weren't born a Samaritan, they would pray and ask God not to save Samaritans. Come on, that's some hatred. And here we are, we have Jesus with the hero of the story being the people that they hate. And so the Samaritan shows up on the scene and becomes the hero. Imagine yourself in that crowd when Jesus tells that story. Now here's what I want us to see though, because when we talk about being able to see as Jesus sees, we got to see people the way Jesus sees people. So how does Jesus see people? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. This is how Jesus sees you and I. Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 27. You can read a lot more, but I'm going to hone in on this. It says this. It says, so God created man in what? What does it say? In his own image. In In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Every person on this planet is made in the image of God. Everyone. No matter what race, no matter what socioeconomic status, no matter matter anything. If they're a person, if they are a human being, they have great value to Jesus because he made them to look like him. You and I are bearers, image bearers of Jesus. We are not only image bearers, but we're sons of God. You are a child of God and here's the key. Here's the, here's the key point. Whether you trust God or not, whether you love God or not, you're still a child of God. Every person in here is a child of God. And for us to see as Jesus sees, we got to see people the way Jesus sees them. And the way Jesus sees them is, that's mine. He's my child. He's, 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 he's got my image. Now, I want you to see how this kind of plays out because... <clears throat> Most of us don't realize the value that people have, but, but when I share these examples, I think you'll see it. So, okay, so if you look at my family, okay, there's myself, there's Lindsay, and then I have three boys, Josiah, Judah, and Joel, and all have great value in our home. And then we have a dog, Olive, which is, okay. So, <laughs> if there's a budget cut, if we look at our finances and we're starting to get tight and, and, and Lindsay and I sit down and we're going over all of our finances and we go, okay, babe, something's got to go. And we're looking at all that. Let me ask you, is it one of the boys? Okay, let's find out who, who costs us the most. Okay, well, Lindsay, you got to go. I'm sorry. It's, it's got to, if we're going to, if we're making a budget cut, I mean, you're, you're on the table. So, No right? The dog goes, right? The dog goes. The dog goes. Now, in some of y'all, you would actually give up a family member for your dog, and that's wrong. Some of y'all, like, dress up your dogs and give them, like, a house, like, with AC. Like, you got problems, okay? Stop it. Stop it. So, anyways, people have value, they, they have value. Our, our, our family has, has value. <clears throat> Let me take it a little bit more of uh, a, maybe a bigger issue. But Nazi Germany, when that was going on, and Hitler was killing people left and right. He was slaughtering Jews left and right. There's nobody in here that named their child Hitler. Nobody. Why? Because you look at that and you go, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because people have value. Every person has value. 
They literally, this is what they would do in Nazi Germany, that if you were born with defects or disabilities or any of that, they just take you out. You're done. If you had a handicap, they kill you. If you've, if you've seen the movie 300 with the Trojans, the Trojans back in, the, in those days, they would take babies and, and because the Trojan men wanted perfection, if the baby was born and had any perfection, they would take it to a cliff and throw the baby off. And we look at that and we go, what? What? That, that would be like my son who has a disability himself. They'd say he's got to go. He can't contribute to society, so he's got to go. But we all look at that and we go, there's something wrong with that. Do you know why you say there's something wrong with that? Because you know deep down inside that every person has value. Every person has value. And so for us to see as Jesus sees We've got to understand that everybody has value. And let me, let me show you how this works. When you don't understand that something has value, then, then you tend to treat it that way. Right. Now, let me show you how this works with people. When you view yourself greater than somebody else, when you think your value is more than somebody else, you will treat them disrespectfully. <laughs> you will speak negatively of them. You will blast, why? Because you think your value is greater than their value. We'll get to racism in a minute. But I, I, I recall the children's church song that I used to sing all the time, Jesus loves little children. Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow and black and white they're all precious in his We've got to see as Jesus sees. Come on, people. We've got to see as Jesus sees. They're all precious in his sight. That's why Jesus, when he would, he would hang out with kids, all the disciples were like, what the heck? What? Get away from him. Get away. He's busy. And Jesus was like, what are you doing? These are some of the most valuable people in my kingdom. And you want them to get rid of it. Why? Because the disciples viewed their value greater than the child's value. Are y'all with me? And the more and more I get into this city and get around people, uh, I see people putting less value on certain other people, whether that's children, the way we talk about them, or if that's race, the way we talk about them. But God, may, may we see people like you see them. Number two, let's look at this verse and then I'm going to give you the second one. It says, <clears throat> and so a Samaritan as he journeyed, he came to where he was and when he saw him, now watch this, he had compassion. So here's number two. If we're going to love like Jesus loves, we've got to feel like Jesus feels. Not only do we need to see as Jesus sees, but we've got to feel as Jesus feels. It says that he had compassion. Underline that word, compassion. That word compassion literally means to suffer with. Everywhere we look in the gospel, Jesus is suffering with people. He's entering into their hurts. He's not only suffering with people, we're going to find out a little bit, he suffers for people. But he enters into their hurt. He enters into their pain. When the, when the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years is, is, is trying to find Jesus and she finds him but she's behind him and she just touches his, the hem of his garment and the Bible says she's instantly healed but the Bible says that Jesus felt power released from him and instead of just walking on, he turns around and says, who, is, who did that? Who did that? And he turns around and he goes and he finds her. The woman caught in the middle of adultery Jesus has compassion on these people. If you've been reading in Matthew, you see a lot of times, I think it's actually four times in the book of Matthew that Jesus says he looks at people and he has compassion because some of them were like helpless, harassed sheep that did not have a leader or a shepherd. And God has compassion for us. He, he feels as we feel. That's why we have a chief priest, a high priest, who can sympathize with what we go through because he's gone through everything we've gone through. Betrayal, yep, he's got that one. Hurt, yep, he's got that one. Y'all with me? We, have a, we serve a Savior who's gone through every hurt that we go through. 
And so when you say, God, my heart hurts, he goes, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. My father, he's abandoned me. I know how you feel. I remember watching Joel lying on a hospital bed this, when we were in St. Louis, and he's got this trach in his mouth, and he's coming in and out of, of, uh, of, of anesthesia, and he's realizing he's got a tube down his throat, and my heart broke. I told Lindsay that night, I was like, you're not staying here, I'm staying here, because I knew what I was going to see. And probably 10 times throughout the night, he's waking up, trying to talk to me to pull this thing out, and they have to tie his hands down to the bed. And my heart broke. And all I could do was sit there and, and say, Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Daddy's here. We're going to get through this. It's coming out soon. It's coming out soon. And, he's, and he can't talk, and he's trying to talk. My heart broke. And I had compassion on him. We, we live oftentimes with no compassion. We're so hard on people. We're so hard. But if we're going to love like Jesus loves, not only do we got to see the needs and see people as he sees them with value, but we've got to feel. We've got to enter into that hurt so that we can gain a greater understanding because I can't love you unless I somehow enter into that hurt. Now, does that mean you've got to go through everything they go through? Of course not. Of course not. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to undergo every single thing someone goes through in order to relate to them or to be able to be there for them. Compassion is not meaning that you have to go through everything they go through. It's just the fact that you feel for where they are. And, and the good Samaritan enters into that with this guy. He, he feels where he is. Now let me, let me step aside from the Word of God for a minute. We see this tension right now in our, in our nation. I don't think I have to remind you or even prove to you that there is still racial tension in our city, in our state, in our nation. And can I tell you the one thing that has hurt my heart the most? Is that in the midst of everything that's gone on, Lindsay and I were in St. Louis, when the verdict came down. I mean, I'm there in the hospital when all this stuff happened. And then all the stuff that's transpired over the past three or four months. The thing that has burdened my heart so much is the lack of compassion from white Christians to their African-American brothers and sisters. It's hurt my heart. It's hurt my heart. Now listen, facts have their place. Facts have their place. Okay? But when somebody's hurting, you don't give facts. Let me show you how this works. So imagine one of you in here, or let's just pick another person for example. Imagine a young family in here has a one-year-old baby, and, and they didn't, they didn't safe-proof their house enough. And their child picks up a fork or a knife and sticks it in a light socket and dies immediately. And they call me and I rush over there and I'm watching them zip up the body bag with the child and they are wailing and screaming. Let me ask you that. Is this my opportunity to come in and go, you know what, if you would have done this and if you would have done this and if you would have done this, this would not have happened. No. Is that the moment for that? No, it's not. Now, will there probably be a time for that at some point? Probably so. But is that the moment for it? No. Not at all. Let me, I'll, I'll give you an example every husband in here can relate with. So you walk into your house and, you're, and, and you know, you're sitting down with your wife and your wife begins to express, babe, listen, this is how I feel. I, I feel this, you know, way and, and I just feel like this is going on. And, and, and us as husbands... We got a load of facts. It's like a machine gun of all the reasons why you shouldn't feel the way you feel, right? Okay, well, you should be doing this, and this is, this is probably, this is why you feel that way, and this is what's going, right? Now, wives, respond to me. Anytime your husband has ever given you facts when you felt that way, has that always been, you know what, you're so right, baby. I don't feel that way anymore. 
or, or does it just fuel the feelings already to make you probably even more angry? And that's what we do with racism. We enter in into, we don't enter into somebody's pain. We sit back from a distance and we just fling stuff. This is why you shouldn't be feeling this way. It's his fault and this and that and this and that. And instead of entering in, we give just facts. Now facts have their place. But if we're going to feel like Jesus feels, if we're going to love like Jesus loves, we've got to enter in with compassion with people. We've got to walk into that with our wives, with our coworkers, with our children, with people that are our enemies. But God's called us to feel people, to, to feel how he feels in that situation. How does God feel in this situation? I'm sure his heart is broken. His heart's hurting. And if we're ever going to see healing, and let me just say this, if we're ever going to see healing racially in our city, it's got to be the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that heals this. The gospel is the only thing that heals the hurts from both sides. The gospel is the only thing that, that can bring people of different backgrounds and ages and races and, and, and statuses and bring them all into one family. That's the gospel that only does that. And if we sat here, we could do a whole survey of, of how many people had a, had a high school education and how many didn't and how many, you know, uh, came from divorced families and how many didn't. And, and I'm going to tell you, there would be a crazy survey going on in here of how different this area, this, this church is, just this church here in Jennings. But yet God, by his grace, brings people from all different backgrounds and all different life experiences and all different circumstances, and he brings them into one family to show the world this is how you love God and this is how you love people. And sometimes when we don't understand people that are different than us, it's not, it's, it's not a, a knock against them. It's God trying to do something in your own heart. Isn't that the way with your wife? I didn't realize how selfish I was till I got married. I thought I was like legit, like I'm good. Like, man, I am generous and helpful and kind and compassionate. And I got married and I realized I am selfish, really selfish. And then I had kids and I realized I am even more selfish. Just keeps coming out. Why? Because my wife's different than me. She's different than me. And that's for a good thing, because you know what that does? It sanctifies me. It takes out all the stuff that's in my heart that really is selfish, that only comes out when you rub up against other people that are different than you. That's some good preaching. I know you're quiet. That's all right. Listen, we don't have a skin problem. We got a sin problem. I... I, Martin Luther King said this, Martin Luther King Jr., he wrote a book called Strength to Love, and this is what he said. He said, on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question that the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? (laughs) Now listen to this. But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. And he said, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Loving like Jesus is not about what is this going to do to me if I do that. It's what would happen to them if I don't. Are y'all with me here? Why don't we have compassion for people? Because we, we're selfish. We're selfish. And we forget how compassionate God's been towards us. So here's the bigger question that we got to ask when it talks about feelings. Can Jesus trust you enough to let you feel what he feels? Can Jesus trust you enough to let you feel what he feels? Because Jesus' feelings towards the people of the city are probably way different than our feelings. His heart breaks in situations, and we've got to ask God, God, let me feel how you feel. All right, number three. We're going to do as Jesus does. Let's finish this up. Luke chapter 10, verse 34 through 35. So watch what happens. So he has, the Samaritan now has compassion. 
But his compassion doesn't just stop there, like, oh, I got compassion for you. His compassion compels him to act. Says, and, so, and so this is what it says. It says, and, and he went to him. Now let's just stop right there. He went to him. The great news about the gospel is that Jesus came to you. And he came to me. He went to us. He came for us. He did not step back and wait for the guy to get enough strength and go, okay, you want, you want a ride? Come on. Come on. Chance number one. Chance number two. Come on, the, the bus is going. You want to? No, what does he do? He goes to the man that's naked and beaten down, and he, he goes to him. He enters into that. And that is, that's the story. That's a picture of Jesus because Jesus came to us. See, we're the guy on the side of the road that's beaten up, and Jesus comes from heaven to earth. That's, this is the story of Jesus. May we, may we quickly learn that the Good Samaritan is Jesus. He is the ultimate Good Samaritan. And may you put yourself in the boat. You're not the Good Samaritan, and I'm not either. Guess who you are? You're the priest, the Levite, and the beaten up dude. That's who we are. I, 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 I relate more to the priest and Levite than I do to the Good Samaritan. And I definitely relate to the beaten up dude. Because the the the. The Samaritan comes and he engages into the world of the broken man. He left it. Now watch what it says that he does. Samaritan, as he journeyed, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So let's talk real quick. What does it look like for us to do what Jesus does? What does he, what does he actually do? There's, there's three ways in which the Samaritan loved this man. First one is this. He loved him spiritually. He loved him spiritually. The Bible says, says that he went and he bound up his wounds and he poured oil and wine. Oil and wine is a significance of the Holy Spirit and a significance of cleansing. He cleansed him. He healed his wounds. He's going to heal his wounds. And if we're going to love people, the first and foremost thing that we have got to do is we have got to engage people spiritually, meaning we've got to pray. We've got to be people of prayer. The greatest way for you to make a difference in this city is we've got to have the people on our heart. And the greatest way for the people to be on your heart is to pray for them. We pray for them. Because let me tell you what happens when you pray for them. And let's specifically talk about people you don't like. Let's start there. People that just annoy the mess out of you. People that bother you and frustrate you. And it, you could be sitting by them. Now, don't, don't look at them now because that would be really I'd give it away. But you just get, these are people who rub you the wrong way. Let me tell you why praying is so important. Because when you pray, you realize two things. One, you're not the Savior and God's got to do something in their heart. You can't change them. Some of you need to hear that in here. You cannot change them. Second thing is when you pray, God changes you. Because it's hard to be bitter and hatred towards somebody and pray for them at the same time. <laughs> God, I just pray that you would be, I hate them. God, I just pray. You know, you just can't. You can't. I mean, I guess you could in a sense, but it'd be a little weird. I don't know if you'd really be praying or ranting. I don't I don't know if you'd be praying. Are y'all with me? So we've got to engage in that. And there's people that you have probably, you have a list of people that, that you just need to begin to start praying for. Praying for. The second thing is that he engaged in him in a loving way, not only spiritually, but physically. He served him. See, sometimes love is expressed through words, but oftentimes love is expressed through sweat. And he broke a sweat. He got his hands dirty. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's literally dead. And he goes and he pulls out his own stuff and he wraps him. And he, he gets, I'm sure there's blood all over him. And I'm, who knows what this scene looks like. But he, he serves the man actually physically. He doesn't just do, hey, dude, I, I, I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you, man. I hope it works out. Hope somebody else comes along. No, he not only prays, but he begins to, begins to bandage wounds. 
He serves him. Right now, there are people serving you by serving your children. They're wiping your child. They are teaching your children Jesus. You know what they're doing? They're serving you. But more than that, they're serving God. Because they realize that love is not just something that we say, it's also something that we do. We get actively engaged and involved in serving people. And I love this. This is a story of Jesus. Right before Jesus is uh, about to have the Last Supper with his guys, Jesus walks in, and he walks in with a towel around his waist, and Jesus gets down the Savior of the universe, the one who is about to shed his blood for all of humankind, and he gets down on his knees, and he begins to physically wash the feet of his disciples. Now, here's the crazy point about all this. He's going to wash the feet of a man who is about to betray him. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him to be on his knees washing Judas's feet? Did Jesus know what he was going to do? And yet he washed them anyways. Here's the big revelation that I got in that. Jesus doesn't hold our past against us, and he still loves us despite our past, but he even doesn't even hold our future against us. Because when you look all throughout the book of Matthew, you see Jesus healing people that didn't even follow him after he healed them. And yet, he still healed them. See, for some of us, we only really love people who will reciprocate it back. But that's not real love because then it's only based off of what you get out of it. But true love is serving people who are never going to serve you. It might even be serving people who speak negatively of you or even put you on a cross. But this is the love that Jesus has. And he served people that didn't even love him. And you and I, we've got to begin to serve in that way. And last and foremost, he loved him financially. We see a picture of him. He actually took money out of his own bank account and he gave it to the innkeeper and he took care of them and he gave it. He said, and and he even said this, listen, if, if it costs more, just tell me, I'll pay for the rest. I'll pay for all of it. And if we're going to love people as Jesus loves, we got to pray, we got to serve and we got to give. I mean, You know, Lindsay and I and our family are a byproduct of this church loving us so well. And so many of you have done all three of these things for our family. You've prayed for us, and you've served us, and you've given generously to us. And for that, I can never say thank you enough. But this is what the church does. And I pray you wouldn't just do it just for me, or do it just for Pastor Bo and Miss Tracy and our pastors, but that you would do that for one another. And the incredible thing is I hear stories of it happening all the time, where we love the people around us so much that we get involved in them and we, we give of ourselves. And I want to read the last part of this verse. It says, which of these three, verse 36, so he, Jesus now looks at the lawyer and he says, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the guy couldn't even say the guy's name. Notice he didn't even say, I can't do it. He said, it's the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says to him, well, you go and do likewise. Now, here's the big thing that we've got to realize. Loving people and loving God is not two separate things. It's the same thing. We try to compartmentalize a lot of times. I love God, and I'm going to really try to love people, but they're really hand in hand. They go together. And the reason why it's so important is because God commanded it. If love was easy, we wouldn't be commanded to do it. (laughs) If love was easy, you wouldn't be told you need to love because you would just naturally love. But it's a command that we're given. But I think we've got we've to come back to this place because this is what I don't want to happen with this message. I don't want you to walk out of here and go, okay, I need to love more. I need to be more loving. 
this is what I want you to walk out with. I want you to realize how much you've been loved. Because when you realize how much you've been loved, you have no problem loving people. Because he who freely receives, freely gives. And so if you have a giving problem, let me tell you what your real problem is. You have a receiving problem. If you have a hard time loving other people, you know why? It's because you have a hard time accepting God's love for you. It's plain and simple. For God so loved the world. This story is a picture of the Good Samaritan, but you're not the Good Samaritan. I'm not the Good Samaritan. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. We're the broken, beaten down, naked guy on the street. Jesus is the one who came. And not only did Jesus risk being attacked by robbers, he was attacked and he was beaten and he was put on a cross for you and for me. And, and, and he came and he bore up our wounds and he was stripped and he heals our wounds and he covers our nakedness and he gives us love with no strings attached to that because loved people love people. And let me tell you how you're going to know, how the watching world is going to know that you love God. You want to know how they're going to know you love God? It's not by coming to OSC. It's not going to be by reading your Bible. And it's not going to be by 21 days of fasting. All those are great. But that's not how this world's going to know that you love God. The way they're going to know that you love God is John 13, 34. You can read it in your notes. It says, a new command I give to you. Love one another. As what? As I have loved you. This is how you're going to do it. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, here's the clincher, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hey, do you know this? Christ has no hands. He has your hands. Christ has no feet. He has your feet. Christ has no mouth. He has your mouth. And I pray by God's grace that we would be known as a church that gives grace freely, loves generously, serves passionately. And we do that not out of duty because we have to. We do it out of a response of love. God has so loved us. There's nothing greater that I can do than just to love other people. So this is my challenge. If you're going through a relationship right now that is strained or stressed, would you take an inward look and go, God, is there something you're doing in my own heart? Because if I'm having a hard time loving them like Jesus loves them, then either I'm not seeing them the way you see, I'm not feeling it, or maybe I'm not doing love the way you did. And that you would allow God to do a work in your own heart. And that through that, that the Spirit of God would help you be able to love the unlovable and do what's not natural to you. Would you bow your head in this place? Father, we love you. But we love you because you first loved us. You first loved us. 